Let's just ask God to speak to us in this room right now. Let's just settle in for a few and and just hear from him. Father God, uh, Lord, I know we're in the middle of the season that is a lot of hustle and a lot of bustle. Shopping and gatherings and parties and meals and celebrations. Uh, Father, a lot of fun at times and then sometimes a lot of stress. Um, Lord, a lot of joyful moments in this Christmas season, but Lord, sometimes it can get just so busy and so crazy that we can just kind of get distracted from what we celebrate and what the reason of Christmas is. And so, Father, we just settle in this room today. We settle in this church building. We gather as your people, as the church. We want to hear from you, Father. We're going to open up your scriptures and read, Lord, what is some very familiar passages for many, but for some it may be fairly new. But Lord, I pray your scripture is new and alive and active in this room for each and every one of us. Rather, we've heard this hundreds of times or thousands of times, or whether it's our first time, Lord, would you make it fresh and new? Help our ears to hear from you today. Lord, I truly believe that each week when we gather, we're not gathering here by accident. You have drawn us to this place. And you have a message for every one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that you will speak that, that we'll hear it, and that we'll do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to the scripture from Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that same time, wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too." After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I have suggested to you this Christmas season that the account of the birth of Jesus is rather crazy. It's kind of a crazy way for God to bring our restoration, our redeeming Savior into this world. And so over the last few weeks, we looked at it from a perspective of Mary and what a crazy situation that would have been to be part of bringing the 
the Christ child of this world. We looked at it from Joseph's perspective and said, man, for Joseph to be living during that time and be part of this great story, it was pretty crazy. And today I want us to consider from the wise men perspective how crazy it would have been to be a wise man and be involved in this great account. Consider this as you watch this video. God had been silent for 400 years. We knew because we were listening in a sense. My job, my job is to listen. You wouldn't call a person that talks a lot a wise man, would you? No, you'd call them many, many, many things, but a wise man wouldn't be one of them. My position is to look for signs everywhere. A star, for example. I can look at a star and watch it and wait and see what the star is trying to tell us. I read one time of a star that would announce a new king. And then one day, there it was, a beacon in the night, a star like, unlike any other star I'd ever seen before. And so I followed it. Several of us, we followed this star. It was bizarre. The star would lead, it would move, and we would follow. Our journey took two years, and it led us to Judea. And then the star stopped. It just stopped. Shining down over this small cottage, our journey ended not at a palace for a king, but at a home for a peasant. This was it. I mean, we gathered our thoughts, we gathered our gifts, we did all that we could do to contain our emotion. And behind those doors was a new king. A king that could command the stars in the sky and yet chose to dwell among us. A king that spoke and the word became flesh. God was finished being silent. That night, we knelt. We bowed down before this baby boy. And each one of us laid gifts at his feet. We had to, we couldn't help it. 400 years of silence broken by the cries of the Son of God. Kind of crazy if you ask me. 400 years of silence and God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to make this known through some wise men. I mean, these men begin this long trip to Israel because there's a particular <clears throat> star in the sky. And they're going to follow that star, alerting them to the birth of the king of the Jews. And they travel for over two years to finally meet this Christ child in person. Now, we've got to understand is the wise men were not believers at the time of the star coming. 
The wise are not believers. They, they're actually astrologers. I believe it's, it is more than just a story that is meant to entertain us. It is intended to teach us something today about the Christ child. I think that they were a little crazy, but they were extremely wise. And because of their wisdom, we now sit here today to know about Jesus. This Christmas season, we can surely learn from these wise men, and we'd be wise to take these four lessons to heart and put ourselves into each lesson that I want to show you today through this account in Scripture and ask ourselves, am I wise? Am I wise? Lesson number one is that God makes every effort to reach every person who is far from Him. God is in the business of reaching people who are far from him. God used this star to reach pagan, Gentile, magician, astrologers to bring them to Christ. The first time we read of these wise men is when they arrive in Jerusalem and the Jewish capitals, the, the Bible says, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we have come to worship him. The wise men were on a mission to find a newborn king of Jews and then to worship him. What is fascinating about these men is what they teach us about God. See, God makes every effort to reach every person, no matter how far they are from him. These wise men were likely Gentiles and not Jews, had come to seek the king of the Jews, and the Jews thought the promised Messiah was for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. Matter of fact, um, all the first followers of Christ were almost exclusively Jewish. And so for these men to come who were probably Gentiles, it's just another part of the story that's crazy. The Christ, the Christ was supposed to deliver them from their sins. He was supposed to deliver them from their oppressors is what the Jews were looking for. And yet the signal to the wise men that God was calling them, calling them as Gentiles to Christ, they didn't even share the religion of the Jews. They were magi, which is a combination of learned scientists with cultic astrology. And they see a star and say, let's follow that star. And where does that star lead us? They knew science as well as magic. They were the academias of their time, but they were still magician astrologers, which were practices that God specifically had forbidden in their lives and said, this is not what you're supposed to participate in. And God still used what they participated in to bring them to the Christ child. See, what this tells us is that God never abandons anyone. There, there is never anyone too far gone. We have been praying over these stakes, these names that are on these stakes around this room for the last three months. And I just wonder, church, the names that you have written on the stakes, do you pray doubting, well, you know, that's my brother, and man, he is so far gone, but I'll still stick his name on that stake. Or, you know, that's my mom or dad, or that's my, my co-worker, and if you knew my co-worker, but okay, God, I'll put their name down. Or do we have a belief that God can really reach us, know how far no matter how far we are. Some of you are sitting in this room today and you're going, I was way out there and God reached down and grabbed me. And you've experienced the redemption of Christ because God has drawn you. Maybe he used some crazy circumstance in your life and you're like, yeah, that was my wake-up experience. That's what's going on with the wise men here. They're having a wake-up experience because God never gives up on anyone and he uses whatever means he can to help lead them to Christ. And so wherever you're at in your journey with Christ, God wants to use that to draw you closer. In this case, God sent them a message using an astronomical event, a star, a single to them that they needed to search for the child born as king 
of the Jews. God used their language and they understood it, even though magical astrologers were not following God's path. Perhaps if an angel appeared to them like the shepherds, because that's what we know happened, angel appeared to the shepherds, it would have been a misinterpreted. But God knew the best way to reach astrologers was through a star. He said, let me use something that they're already familiar with. And God used that bright star to bring the wise men, the magi to Christ. Remember, we've got to remember this, church, that not everyone is raised in the church. A lot of people don't know our, our language. We speak kind of an internal language in the church culture, and people who are not part of the church sometimes are like, you speak weird, or you, or you think weird, or you have some, some ideology that's way out there, and sometimes we're baffled why people don't want to participate in the church or be part of, of following Christ. Many times it's because they don't have that foundation because it's not in their upbringing. And so that God will use something in their life to bring them to Christ. That's what he did in this situation. People were far from God. He said, I'll use the star. I'll draw them to the Christ child. That's why God came in flesh. That's why God sent his son Jesus to come so that he could talk and speak our language and dwell among us and be among us and show himself to us so he can draw us to himself. God expects us to do the same for others. God doesn't want us to compromise your integrity. He doesn't want us to violate his commandments. But he expects us to be like him and use whatever means it takes to reach people. That's why we're praying for names. That's why on your chairs today, you find a card like this that says, join us, inviting people to come next week and just celebrate Christmas Eve with us and get a chance to hear about this message of this Christ child who's our Savior. I want to encourage you to take some of these off of the chairs. We walk out of this room today, every single one of these should be gone. Every single one of them. We have a basket in the back. You say, I want to take 10 of them. Then take 10 of them. You start praying, God, who can I give these to? Someone said last week, they took one and they just left it. Um, When they gave their tip to the waitress, they also stuck one of these in. Maybe it's also a very personal conversation with people at work because you say, you know what? Maybe God's going to use me. Maybe you are involved in somebody's life because you're their star. You're the one who's going to point them to the Christ child. God wants to rescue all people. We see that in this star. Let's look at lesson number two in the crazy wise men is that God wants us to diligently seek him. He seeks us, but he wants us to seek him. We need more than knowledge about Christ. We need to seek out Christ. We must seek out a relationship with Christ or God through Christ. We seek out a relationship with God by knowing who Christ is. The danger we fall into is thinking that I know about Jesus. And I think that influences our Christian culture in America so greatly. Well, I know about Jesus. I know about the church. Well, I've read the Bible. The truth is we can have all the knowledge of the Bible. We can follow God's commandments. And we can still miss the Christian faith, what it's all about, unless we're seeking Christ and finding him. Like, Let me ask you, why did you come here today? Why did you get up this morning and say, you know what, I'm going to go to Centerpoint Christian Church. Was it because this is the ritual that you perform? Well, it's Christmas season, I need to be in church. Is it the ritual you perform? Because, well, every Sunday my family goes to church. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you listen to Christian music? Why do we sing songs? Is it, that's what we're supposed to do, or is that because I want to see Christ? 
I want to know Christ. I want to follow Christ. And I understand that when I come and I worship and, and I hear the word proclaim and I read scripture and I'm singing songs, that that's part of helping me pursue Christ. Or is it just some ritual we walk through? See, these Gentile pagan astrologers, astrologers with only partial information about the Jewish Messiah, they set off on this journey to find the Christ, the King of the Jews, a journey that was estimated to be over 500 miles, took nearly two years to make the journey, and that journey cost them time and money and precious gifts. And we know the Magi had just partial knowledge about the Bible, and they went on this journey in the heading for the Jewish Messiah because otherwise they would have known to look for the infant in Bethlehem, but they had faith and they made an effort to seek out the Christ child. They go after him, looking, where is he at? Following the star. On the other hand, we see the religious community in Jerusalem. They're right near him. The people with the firm grasp on the Bible, the people who know the Scriptures, people who lived out the letter of the law as written in Scripture, they did all the rituals, they followed all the commandments, they knew about God from the Holy Scriptures, yet when the wise men show up, Herod and these religious leaders were stunned to find out the Messiah had born. In fact, they were disturbed to go, he's been born? He's in the area. They're troubled upon hearing that. And they had either not seen the star in the sky or they were unable to, to interpret its meaning. And they had no clue that the king had been born. And it had to take some pagan Gentile astrologers to tell them about the Messiah. It's mind-boggling. It's crazy to think, wait, all the religious people didn't get it? You can imagine how that would have gone over. Imagine how it would go over today if a practitioner of witchcraft or magic came into this church to tell us, church, you're missing out on Jesus. You're not seeing him. You, you, you missed the whole thing. We'd be like, you're crazy. Get out of here. We would run them off as quickly as we could and say, go practice your witchcraft somewhere else. It's not allowed around here. That's kind of what was happening astrologers show up and say, yeah, your Messiah has been born. What? Yeah, right underneath your nose. And you don't even realize it. See, rather than be overjoyed at the news the Messiah to come, they're worried, they're probably skeptical, and they do nothing about it. Unlike the wise men who had traveled hundreds of miles to worship the Christ, the religious leaders couldn't even travel six miles to seek out Christ. That's how close it was. Six miles. King Herod even sends the wise men off to find the Christ child in his place. Hey, you go find him so they can report back to him. Now, when you find him, you come tell us. It never mentions one person at least going to check out to find if their information was true. Hey, I can see King Herod. You go find him. And then he sends a spy. Now, you follow behind him, though. And make sure what he says is true. Why don't they check it out? Because pagan Gentile astronomers certainly couldn't know anything about their Messiah. And Herod says, Follow, or, or Herod says, you come and tell me what you discover. Why would God tell them about the Christ and not the religious authorities? Why would God announce this to people who are not even God-fearing people and not tell the people who were God-fearing people, people who claimed to be religious, maybe because they were more concerned about the laws and the rituals than they were about a relationship with God and concerned with where his heart was. What about you today? Are you concerned about where your heart, heart is? We, we can have knowledge of the Bible. We can have religious convictions, and sometimes, church, our religious convictions just scream at people and tell them to get away from God. 
because of our religious convictions and how we handle them. We can even live out God's commands, the letter of the law, and still miss the point. Here's the point. God is seeking a relationship with you and me through his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants us to seek him. Are you doing that this Christmas? Brianna started preaching a little bit about Santa. We do a lot of seeking at Christmas time, don't we? We do a whole lot of seeking. We're seeking, well, what do you want on your Christmas list? What do I want on my Christmas list? How can I get that gift? We search the internet as we seek on the, uh, for the greatest gift. We go to the stores and to the malls and we're looking for the greatest gift and we seek out the greatest gift. We go to stand in line for Santa Claus. We seek all this stuff that we know does not last. How hard are you seeking Christ this Christmas? That's what the wise men did. They sought Christ. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those, rewards those, see this, who earnestly what? Seek him. Who earnestly seek him. What are you seeking after this Christmas? See, when we come to church, when we live a good lives, it's because our primary focus should be because our primary focus is seeking Christ. Our primary focus is to want to honor Christ, to search for Him, to draw near to Him. Or are we like the religious leaders of the day who they know what doing things right are. We know what the religious duty is, and so we follow all the duty. We follow all God's commandments. Being at church, knowing the Bible really well, following all the rules, I'm doing all that, I'm good with God. They did all that, and they missed Jesus. Did every single bit of it. God makes every effort to reach every person who's far from him. God wants us to diligently seek him. And lesson three is we need to worship Christ. Wise men offered valuable gifts. What do you offer to God? Valuable gifts. Worship is not an option with Christ. We need to worship him. Once the wise men reached Jesus, it says the first thing they did was they worship. Just like the shepherds who had already visited Jesus and worshiped by singing praises to God. Look what the Bible says to the wise men in Matthew 2. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures... And presented to him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped. One way to worship was to bow before somebody else. That's a, a form of submission. It signaled one submission of having authority over them. And so they bow before Jesus and they realize right away, we are before the Messiah, the Savior. That is why today we must, that's why we say we receive Jesus as as Lord and Savior. It's a term of submission because He's in control and we submit our lives to Him. We put ourselves underneath His Lordship and we submit and say, I, I, I surrender to you, Jesus, as my Savior. How did they worship Him? Well, they presented offering. They presented an offering. Three gifts were presented to Jesus as a sign of worship. To worship means offering something. We worship when we, when we give our offering. Here in a few moments, you're going to bring an offering. And, you, and when we worship when we do that, when we bring our tithes and we bring our gifts, we worship though when we give of our time. 
When we say, Lord, I'm going to give some time for your purposes, for your kingdom. We worship by offering ourselves to God. We worship by serving him. All the people that are, are, are here greeting and meeting and been up here early preparing for worship today, all the people that are back there serving in the children's area, as they serve, it's a form of worship. They're offering their service to God. We worship. The gifts which the Magi brought were very valuable. They were given at a great cost to themselves because Christ deserved a gift worthy of kingship. The first, of course, is gold, a treasure deserving of a king. And you've probably seen that and heard it many times. You know, you bring gold to a king. The second is frankincense. It's a, it's a scent offered up to God during sacrificial worship, and it could only be offered to God by a priest. Interesting thing that Jesus Christ is called our high priest in Scripture. And they bring a gift of frankincense. Lastly, myrrh was used. Myrrh was an oil that was used to prepare a body for embalming for death. I, I wonder, was the myrrh that was given, is it the same myrrh that was used for Jesus' body? Was it kept? I don't know. But every gift had a purpose. Every gift tied right back to the Christ child. It was a gift symbolizing the preservation of life and death. It was a gift for a Savior that would die for all of us. And each of these gifts came at a significant cost to the bearers. Worship should cost us something. It should, it should stretch us. It, it costs us something to serve. It costs us something to give. It costs us something to get up and come into a public worship time. It costs us to get up earlier in the morning and say, I'm going to worship by being in my Bible. It costs us to spend some extra time in prayer. It costs us to turn off the television. It costs us to get off the social media, to turn off the computer and say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. That's all an investment of worship. Let me challenge you this Christmas. What gift are you going to give up? What is God calling up from you? For some in this room, it may be your life. And what I mean by that, for some in this room, you need to surrender your life to Christ and you need to bow before Him and say, You are my Lord and Savior. For some, it means I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to turn from my sin. I need to receive the gift of salvation. I need to be baptized in the in a watery grave of baptism because some haven't done it. Why not do that this year before the end of the year? Moving to that place of surrender. For some of you, it's going to cost life because it's God's been nudging you and you're like, I've got to make some changes. I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ, but I need to make some changes because he's calling me to more ministry. He's calling me to do some more. had a conversation with a man this week who sat down and said, Brian, God wants more of me. He said, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that's the journey I'm on right now. I'm praying and saying, God, I feel you nudging me. I know he wants more of me. For some, that's where you're at in this room today. And it costs you to do that. One more lesson is that we need to continue to be open to God's spirits. See, the wise men obeyed God's direction by not returning to Herod. And the journey to Christ and their reward of faith had taught them to remain open to God's leading, because there is never a point in our lives when we can say, I've arrived, I've got this thing with Jesus all figured out, I'm good. If you're at that point, watch out. 
That may be a warning, a personal warning. If you think, I've got it all just put all together and got it all figured out. We need to seek him. We need to worship him. But these are not a one-time event. They are an ongoing event in our life. We must continue to remain open to God's leading. Look at what happens after they meet Jesus and they're ready to head home. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Now you know whenever you travel... It's a whole lot easier to take one route there and take the same route going back. And it surely would have been true there. Now, we are GPS, so we can easily plug it in and say, take me on a different route. They, they're, they're following a star in the sky. They're going through train up and down. It took two years. You would have thought they would have took the exact same route. Because even though the wise men had found the Christ child had worshipped him, they weren't done. It wasn't, okay, I did my duty. I've done my duty. I'm glad this thing. Now let's get back to regular life. Their life had been changed because they met the Savior. And they knew life could not be lived the same anymore. It was a dramatic change. Their seeking God didn't end with meeting Christ. They continued to be, remain open to God, and God gave them a message and a dream. Remember, these are men whose job was to interpret dreams, and so God spoke to them again in a way that they would understand in a dream, and they recognized this dream as a message from God, and they obeyed. They didn't go back to tell Herod. They didn't go back because little did they know Herod was making plans to kill the king of Jews. They didn't even know that, but Herod knew what his plan was. And they listened as God said, don't go back that way. I want you to go another way. See, the point's clear for us. Just because we have sought Christ, and if you found him, doesn't mean we're at the end of our journey. We continue to seek him. It's only the beginning. God wants us to be open to the leadings of his Holy Spirit and keep an open heart, keep an open mind. God, where are you leading? Where are you directing? What do you want in my life? It may not be in a dream. It may be. But God still speaks to us in other ways as we read Scripture, as we're engaged in prayer. Maybe as we're engaged in relationship with other Christians and we talk through what's God doing in your life, He uses all kinds of ways. What place are you standing at today? Are you the one who's far from God? You hear Him calling you and saying, it's time to come home. Remember, God continues to seek you no matter what you're going through or what you're walking in. And remember, you are never too far gone that God cannot forgive you. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had the conversations with people through the years of ministry. They say, yeah, but preacher, yeah, but Brian, you don't know about my life. I've done. Dun, 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 dun. And I got to tell you, God can forgive it all. He can forgive it all. When a surrendered heart says, God, I need you. God, I seek you. God promises that if we seek Him, you will find Him and you will be rewarded for your faith, for your journey of faith. Are you a seeker who has begun your journey to personally meet Christ, to begin a relationship with God? Could today be a day that you showed up at Centerpoint Christian Church because God brought you here on purpose to hear a message that God is seeking you? And this Christmas, He wants you to live a life that's surrendered to Him. Are you a worshiper of Christ? Are you offering your life to Him in everything that you do? I can tell you what He wants the most. It's not your money, although I expect you to give a good offering today. It's not what He's looking for. 
or your time, although he, he wants your time too. God likes you to give to those, but what he really wants is, he wants every part of you. He wants every part of you, church. He doesn't want just some of you. Sometimes we think, oh, I go to church regularly. I'm in a Bible study. I'm doing good. And those are good things. But we start putting them on the checklist of, oh, I'm doing all the good stuff. What God wants is he wants your heart. He wants you to live a life that is totally surrendered. Lastly, are you opening yourself to God's continual leading? One of the hardest things to deal with are people who say, man, I've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. I got it all figured out. And it's probably not the words that we use, but that's the actions that we display. Because it's not an action that says, whatever else God has for me. If God wants me to pack up and move, I'm packing up and moving. God has a new job for me, I have a new job. He has a new career, he has a new career. Has me go to the mission field, has me go to the mission field. Has me dipping in my bank account or into my retirement account. Whatever it is, God, I'm willing. Having me have just the conversation with my neighbor about who Jesus is or with a co-worker, wherever it is. But sometimes we as a church, we just go, yeah, I got it all figured out. I show up on Sunday, I sit in my chair, I sing some songs, I go to Bible study during the week, and I just live a good life life. That's not Christianity. It's not. Our job is to continually seeking Christ, continually pursuing Christ, continually asking him, Lord, what path do you want me to take? See, if they weren't seeking Christ or listening to the voice of Christ, they would have went right back to Herod and said, hey, Herod, yeah, we found the baby, and Jesus would have been killed before he ever lived his life and did his ministry. They listened to the voice of God and they were allowed to, they allowed themselves to go a different direction. What direction is God sending you on this Christmas season?